Good people. PolitiFact says uh, <laughs> Biden says Trump suggested maybe you could inject some bleach in your arm that would take care of the coronavirus. Ruling needs context. Trump <laughs> did not explicitly suggest that people inject bleach in their arms. He <laughs> did express interest in exploring whether disinfectants could be applied to the site of a coronavirus infection. The comment came after an administration official presented a study that found sun exposure and cleaning agents like bleach could kill the virus when it lingers on surfaces. <laughs> on disinfectant, Trump said, and then I see the disinfectant. We knocks it out in one minute. And there, there's a way you can do something like that by injection, almost like a, a cleaning. Because you see, it does get in the lungs and does a tremendous number on the lungs. So it'd be interesting to check that and see with the medical doctors. Like, what the fuck? This is impossible. You know, splitting hairs professionally. Yeah. Politico's like, I don't know. I guess we've have the doctors ever tried putting bleach on the inside of people to see what finds what happens. He did express interest in in exploring whether disinfectants could be applied to the, like that is actually how many corporations would just phrase like we are investigating the possibility of (laughs) dealing with infections. See, He wasn't talking about injecting bleach. He was talking about applying it to the infection site, which is most often the lung. So he's talking about (laughs) drinking bleach instead. He was talking about engaging with bleach. (laughs) Exactly. Engaging in a synergy with bleach. Welcome to the Deaf Panel. If you'd like an extra episode every week, we do too. So become a patron and support our work. Um, we could say it's a ransom. We're holding your episodes <laughs> ransom <laughs> in exchange for emotional and financial support. Um, I'm just kidding. Patreon.com slash death panel pod. It's just the three of us tonight. Uh, me, Arnie, and Phil. Um, Vince is on a job and... I'm very excited to to get into uh, industry for the blind and visually impaired and all their wonderful products. But before we get into that and before we get into testing, let's talk about the first presidential debate yeah. which happened on Tuesday night. Yeah, I was driving. I was I was driving the other night when I was the debate started. I was coming back from an appointment and could like I was like listening to the first part of it on the radio and in the houses on the street you could just see it playing in every house. And it was really, it was one of the more sort of dystopian moments of the last few months for me. So I was like, that wow. That sounds okay. like a scene from like a really fucked up coronavirus Christmas movie of some kind. Or like a really lazy purge movie. Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> How did it sound to listen to their disembodied voices? I feel like um, there was so much crosstalking that must have been like a beautiful radio play. Well, we're going to okay. get some of that in a minute. Yeah. <laughs> The best, the best part of it was like I was sort of surprised that they had a studio audience of any kind. But we're the really way good too thing, close. Also, they're to way each too other. close. But like the the thing about it was like 
it's awesome to listen to because you just hear really faint applause. It's just like, it's like, it's that much is more the like applause normal. that's deserved. That is yeah. absolutely deserved. Absolutely. So I think, I mean, by now you've definitely heard uh, a lot of the, um, what is it? The proud boys stand by and the, uh, whatever Trump won't denounce white nationalists. And it was nothing you know, new there. Some yeah. sort of unprecedented shit show or whatever but i feel like in true death panel fashion i feel like actually the best thing that we can probably do here is we've we've got a couple of segments from it that i feel like are just not going to get clipped because like the entire media narrative has just become entirely like what what terrible lack of decorum these two men have shown what a terrible job the the moderator did yeah all the takes about crass norms aside you know there was a very firm ideological position staked out in this uh debate which happened on tuesday which was not good and i think gives us kind of a a preview of regardless of who wins a direction of sort of where we won't be going for sure (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah for sure yeah it really it really goes to show the um how to put it the the commitment of i'd say especially the like uh the the biden school of ideology to doing uh as little as possible and to spurn about every idea that is popular among i don't know young people anyone on the left etc yeah i mean it, it so biden walked further back on the public option than i expected him to frankly so early on, you know, maybe he a year into his presidency going back and being like, no, 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 no. I didn't mean public option. I meant Medicaid expansion. It's just for poor people. Yeah. Right. Like I would have expected that in like 2021 when people are like, we're coming into the midterms and they're wondering what the fuck that he's been doing with his expand and and, you know, whatever the ACA um, I did not expect it in the debate, though. Yeah. And it's still like the thing that he said. And I'll, do you want to play the clip? I, I, I will. I think there's uh, one that I would like to play before, which is actually just um, play bef- so before he even doubled down on uh, not not supporting uh, elements of the public option that are technically written into the healthcare plan. The healthcare plan um, this was, I think, a, a pretty telling uh, back and forth on the role of private insurance Mm. and socialized medicine as it played out in the uh, Democratic Party primary. So um, Uh, sit down if you aren't sitting down. The bigger problem that you have is that you're going to extinguish 180 million people with their private health care, that they're very That's happy simply with. not true. Well, you said you're going to socialist. You're going to socialist we're, we're now into, gentlemen, we're now into open discussion. Open discussion. <laughs> open discussion. Yes, I agree. Go ahead, Vice President. Number one, uh, he, he knows that uh, what I proposed. Oh, what I proposed is that uh, we expand Obamacare. And we increase it. We do not wipe any. And one of the big debates we had with 23 of my colleagues trying to win the nomination that I won, we're saying that Biden wanted to allow people to have private insurance still. Why are they you bragging about that? They do. Yes, they will under my proposal. It's not what you've said. But and it's not what your party is, has said. That is simply your party a lie. doesn't say it. your party that wants to go socialist. Medicine my party is and me. socialist right now. I am <laughs> going to dominate you, Joe. You know that. I am the Democratic Party right my now. My party is me. The overpaid. The Democratic party is what I, in fact, approved of. What I approved of. Now here's the deal. Look at me. Yeah. Look at me. I'm the Democratic Party I'm now. I'm the Democratic Party now. I, yeah. Look exactly. at me. I'm the Democratic Party now. Oh, God. Um, 
Yeah. So uh, he sort of, so he You're did that. You're down here with me now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> You've made your bed. Now you must sleep in it. So this, and then this was, this was the, the really, the, the key moment, which um, since, you know, this is obviously the healthcare uh, fight is something that we have uh, some skin in that focused game. on. Yeah. <laughs> uh, have some skin in. Let's, uh, let's, let's hear uh, Biden's new bold, totally socialist, absolutely socialized oh medicine God. proposal for what he thinks the public option means and oh is. This is rich. This, this is, is especially rich. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Gotcha. No, let me ask you This is big stuff. Sir, you'll be happy. I'm about to pick up on one of your points to ask the vice president, <laughs> which is he points out that you would like to add a public option to Obamacare. And yes. the argument that he makes and other Republicans make is that that is going knows. to end private insurance. <laughs> it is and not. Well, if I ask you the question, it will not end. Your party pro- says, by the way, it will end <laughs> private insurance and create a government takeover of health care. It does not. It's only that. for those people who are so poor they qualify for Medicaid. They can get that free in most states, except governors who want to deny people who are poor Medicaid. Anyone who qualifies for Medicare would. excuse me, Medicaid would automatically be enrolled in the public option. Mm -hmm. The vast majority of the American people would still not be in that option. (laughs) Oh, so good. It will be so small. (laughs) You know, we could, we could just (laughs) do more inducements to expand Medicaid, or we could create a prerogative for a private Healthcare plan, probably with <laughs> premiums and, uh, you know, an alternative to Medicaid that only further, only further emphasizes that, that like the path that uh, healthcare is on is privatized. Right. It's brilliant. I'm, I mean, also, I'm going to I've said this before on the show, but I'll say it again. The idea uh, the idea that has been baked into uh, the Biden campaign public option for a long time now that you somehow could manage to automatically enroll anyone who would be eligible in like for Medicaid in any given state that you would be able to like automatically deduce that just knowing the way that Medicaid is set up is so hilarious to me. And so it's, it's, it's fucking impossible. It's so it's, it's just, it's like a yeah. crazy idea. It's like, I mean, do you know how great the, you know, if you're familiar at all with how great it, Medicaid's administrative systems are right now, or think about how like UI is working right now. It's like, mm-hmm. you know, it's going to be really easy. Like, uh, enrolling people automatically through COBOL. Right. Like that's going to be beautiful. Well, and also just all the, the idea of, I mean, with, with Medicaid, uh, you know, you have to, you have to declare that you are, have under a certain amount of assets, like, right. I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I'm not totally sure. Uh, also, cause it like varies from like state to state. If, if he's even saying that he would establish like a universal program, it just sounds like he would finish the Medicaid expansion that right. ACA started even like there wouldn't even be like consistency from state to state. Probably. I, I well, like there isn't. Yeah, now. I mean, it's yeah. Like right. the, the whole thing that like there's whatever, I think still 13 states that haven't expanded Medicaid. That's the main target population with the public option. Now, like there are many different versions Apparently. of the public option that it could have been. Right. This one is the most limited and weakest. And the other thing is like, if you want these states to like do a Medicaid expansion, you know, jack up the match rate 
right. and put a lot of political pressure on the governor. It's called politics, Joe, <laughs> Mr. Vice President. Right. Like right. it's no, instead, we're going to do this programmatic innovation, which will, I, to me, only like further unmoor like Medicaid as a principle. I mean, it sounds like he's fulfilling the promise of nothing will fundamentally change. Right. Yeah. Right. I mean, yeah. Oh, and this was the nothing will fundamentally change. Special. Yeah. This yeah. is the, yeah, the, the nothing will fundamentally change bus or whatever. Yeah. Brought to you um, by consistency. What was to actually to bring it back to something that Phil, you mentioned offhand earlier. Cause like since I think it, it's worth, it's also worth mentioning since a lot of people don't necessarily know this, like um, the, the, like the way that Medicaid funding works since state, like state budgets making as little sense as uh, they, you know, do currently, especially during a pandemic where they can't like deficit spend. Right. Um, right. You know what I love? State- Pro cyclical revenue. <laughs> right. So like state budgets, a huge portion of uh, state budget money is often taken up by Medicaid. Um, f- uh, federally, there is a required uh, like federal dollars matching uh, for Medicaid that I believe the uh, basement of that is 50%, right? Right. Um, yeah. That sounds right. Yeah. And, uh, and you know, you can, there, there are like, you can add the federal government will do stuff like, uh, as exists in, in like the ACA, for example, to like provide incentives basically. So they, you know, you, you add something to your Medicaid program and will change the, the whatever, or like the, you know, they can pass, a, they can pass things to make it so that, um, the, the federal, the FMAP, the, uh, federal, uh, matching funds are increased. And you could say, for example, well, okay, so for states that haven't expanded uh, Medicaid, or just for everyone, essentially, like like you wouldn't even necessarily have to pass a public option, which, as we've talked about uh, plenty of times here, isn't isn't like super good. But you could say like, well, we'll do a we'll do a hundred percent FMAP, we'll do like a hundred percent federal matching funds, at, so long as you like eliminate means testing from here. Uh, I, I'm I know I'm talking pie in the sky or whatever, but you know what but I mean. It's like, like mm-hmm. it's a pan. Here's the thing: if you had had a candidate. And I'm not even saying Bernie, okay? Right. I'm not even saying Bernie. I'm just saying someone who has some basic understanding of how fiscal federalism works at right. all. That the response to that question would be like, it's a pandemic. States are already cutting their Medicaid budgets because they can't deficit spend and their revenues are going down because of the economy, which is likely to be bad for a while. Right. Why would you want to continue a system that is designed <laughs> to keep more people off of their, their health care? Like, you, you know, the, the response is like, even if you had adopted this stupid public option thing, the response would have been like, yeah, that's the minimum we should do. Right. Like, because uh, look around you. But it's amazing just how like cleaved off all of that was. And, and just like how... I don't know, just even basic things that would be easy to communicate about the relationship between any of these programs or big ideas. And I don't know the the current fucking state of the economy is just, yeah, <laughs> mm-hmm. incredible. Well, yeah. And again, state by state with all on top of that, like not just like understanding federal fiscal, uh, like federal and state fiscal policy. Right. But then like on top of that, as I mentioned before, the mechanics of how qualification and reporting requirements vary so much from state to state that like frankly to to do something as i was you know like i like i said like to do something like uh automatically deduce like who all uh qualifies for medicaid and is not 
currently enrolled and then automatically enroll that in a public option would practically take spending a ton, like a ton more money than would act, would be necessary at all. Right. To like, to either do some sort of, uh, like r- ridiculous overbearing federal program to go and find all those people or to build like an AI to sort <laughs> people out. You know what yeah. I mean, I mean like, it's like the rule of like garment production is like volume is king, right? Like the cheapest thing <laughs> to do would be to just say, are you on territorial United States? Yes. Okay. You're on the public option now. Are you on our, like are on our land at all? Right. But you know, what are they going to do if, if Biden's public option becomes just Medicaid expansion to does that mean that the public option is going to have work requirements in states that have work requirements? <laughs> in most states, apparently. Right? Because yeah. doesn't that kind of defeat the purpose of the public option? It, it, you know right? what it does is it just by saying that that is somehow a structural equivalent of Medicaid, it does what Republicans very sort of buried away in in state health authorities, Medicaid agencies in the states like Oklahoma have been trying to do for a while, which is privatize Medicaid and make Medicaid work even more like the worst, the absolute worst parts of the affordable care act with premiums, cost sharing, skin in the game. Oh, you know, you're just, just take your pick of program elements that make people hate their health care. And that is what it would do. And so it's just like, I, you know, it's, it's this idea like it's it's not even one of those too clever by half Democrat <laughs> things. It's yeah. like too dumb by half. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's totally. it's absolutely garbage, right, to be in the middle of a global public health crisis and to be asked, you know, what's the deal with like health insurance? What are you going to do? And you will be like, we're going to just make sure the poor people have have health insurance. Like you, you're not even going to acknowledge the fact that. I mean, people send me messages all the time. They're like, I make $50,000 a year and I spend $23,000 a year on my health insurance and I can't afford to use it because I can't afford my deductible, right? Like if you have an $8,000 deductible and a $900 premium, that's a lot of money after tax, Right. right? So like quote unquote poor people, as Biden like says, you know, aren't the only ones who actually need better insurance. This doesn't do anything to address the hundreds of thousands of people who are underinsured. Right. And if you're tailoring the program to be so bare bones, right, that it's just basically a Medicaid expansion in the 13 states who haven't gotten their shit together yet to realize to do this. Right. Or who have, for politically motivated reasons, declined to do so. But yeah. Yes. Thank you. But, you know, it's like, is he really this blind to the fact that there are more people in the United States who need health insurance than the uninsured, too? And I like, know. Let I'm- me let me put on my Chris Eliza hat for a second. <laughs> um, like the no, it's not even the Chris Eliza. The Chris Eliza hat would be like there were two people on the stage. <laughs> like, let me right, put on my yeah. like pundit brain hat for a second. Like, yes, when you are going up against Trump and you are the challenger. And Trump has had the record on health care that he has. And you're on the defensive. <laughs> yeah. And you were part of an administration that passed, you know, whatever I think of it, like a generational sort of like reform. Um, and you're on the defensive. You're losing. This is very bad. <laughs> Just right. from, a, from a dumb <laughs> pundit scoring thing. That's the last I will do of that. But like it. <laughs> you can't go on the offense on this and like really illustrate the, I don't know, 
the value of having having an expansive vision of social programs, not one that you have to defend by saying a lot of things are going to remain in place when people are even in another part of it. He mentioned like, yeah, people are being um, uh, people who are unemployed are being losing their health insurance. Like you, you like you can't somehow roll that into it. Like, right. Exactly. Right. It's it's maddening how bad that is yeah. just as just as a marker just as a marker for where democratic policy mm-hmm. is. I mean, that was, I mean, I, th- I think, you know, not to, not to stay in like pundit land for too long, but I think that was, that was one of the more frustrating, but also sort of like compelling things to me about the entire experience of uh, watching the debate, because it's like, okay, let me put it this way. I would not have wanted this can, this candidate that I'm about to mention to be the nominee at all. We've, talked plenty of shit about this person but for example like just rhetorically speaking i feel like even like pete Buttigieg would have done a better, better. job uh, yeah probably oh yeah or, absolutely that's who i had in mind when i was thinking about yeah you know bad for a lot of other reasons but like at least that let's um while we're so while we're on this uh topic one one more healthcare related one um this was a, a personal favorite of mine uh, where Trump started bragging about his work on drug prices. Oh, I love this um, one. Hell yeah. Yeah. There's nothing symbolic. I'm cutting drug <laughs> prices. I'm going symbolic. with favored nations, which no president has the courage to do because you're going against big pharma. Drug prices will be coming True. down 80 or 90 percent. You could have done it during your 47 year period <laughs> in government, but you didn't do it. What? Nobody's done it. So we're cutting health care. All of the things condition. that we've done. Insulin. I give you an example. Insulin. It's going to it was destroying families, destroying people. The cost. I'm getting it for so cheap. It's like water. You want to know the truth. So cheap. Is it? Be like insulin, my friend. Um, no, it's I don't know. Be like it's, it's oh yeah. my god. Insulin, it's as free as air and water. To let also him be the one who gets to say like fuck big pharma. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. I mean, uh, part of this part of this is like the Democrats' policies of the last 40 years have imprisoned them in this space and like, and okay. So what's obviously somebody's going to say, well, yeah, well, Trump didn't actually do anything right. on, on any, on any of this stuff. But here's, here's the problem with that, which is that like the way that everything is set up in, you know, American healthcare is that like most people don't have a clear sense that even the government would be capable of doing anything to intervene in like the prices that you would pay at at the pharmacist. So even if like, and so the whole fact check bullshit about this thing was that like, well, this, the change that he made on insulin prices, like only, uh, you know, affected like 2% of the people who need insulin, right. Which, okay. Is insignificant. And yes, like Trump has done fuck all on uh, pharmaceutical prices, but even take that like 2% of people, some sizable potentially percentage of them are going to be Trump voters. Mm-hmm. Let's just say half 1%. And that's enough people for like this sort of like policy theater to have some sort of resonance or, or you know, um, uh, wow. reverberation. So even if it's completely imaginary, it is sort of, it's, it's real enough because of the level of just enemy and utter disbelief in government's ability to do anything. It's like, real enough for it to just be theater 
That's uh, such for, a good point, like, Phil. a lot of people. That's such a fucking good point. Yeah. Well, because also, I think it's one thing to try and parse this as being you know, actually a very explicit reference, but I think that as as this is kind of like, as this insulin quote has kind of wound its way around, people have surmised that they're talking about this thing that they announced in uh, May of this year through CMS that was like, um, it's if you have a Medicare Part D, not any Medicare Part D, but a Medicare Part D enhanced alternative plan, which is like... Oh, I have one of those. Okay, so here we go. Uh, if you needed insulin, B, I, I guess uh, I guess your copay would be capped at thirty five dollars. So that's, that's still what, a lot of money, right? Which is still a lot of money, but it's not the three hundred dollars that uh, is like the regularly right. touted like you know standard. That would be kind more like than a lot of the other gouging. prescriptions, though. Right? Yeah, but I mean, but I guess this is what I'm saying is it's kind of you know to this point of like policy theater. Right. right. And to you those know, who create, it doesn't affect, you have the $200 Medicare prescription savings card. Too. Right. Which, but I mean, I feel like this is some, something that like they've done quite a lot of, I mean, we kind of talked about this in our previous episode, but like, uh, uh, you know, sort of on, on top of the sort of like creating, you know, phantom policy or fake policy that only exists in, in the, in the world of like public relations or something. I feel like most of the things even that I've seen come out of uh, like Sema Verma's CMS, for example, that weren't explicitly deregulatory moves um, were are mostly like, you know, designed to, yeah, maybe make uh, like produce one person mm-hmm. who you can get in a commercial to say, uh, wow, my insulin prices, they're so low. Right. It's like buying a case of bottled water, the right. fancy kind, but you know, water. <laughs> right. No, I mean, like we saw this with, uh, the right to try act, which was like put forward, uh, with the help of an ALS activist who was like a right wing ALS patient. Right. And they basically used the identity of this one person to push forward, uh, a, a, like a duplicate policy, which like just already like everyone knows what like compassionate access is and emergency youth author use authorization is because of COVID. But like back then it wasn't really um, well known that like, yeah, sometimes you can try drugs before they're at market. Right. And also to have that compared up against Biden, like, yeah, Trump is being disingenuous, but he is being like quite assertive that he has made efforts right. in the conversation. And if you like look at what Biden's doing, he's not only like, as you pointed out already on the defensive, right? He's also flip-flopping back and forth. He doesn't seem to know what he's talking about other than making sure that there are these very clear constituencies that he doesn't want to piss off, which is private insurance and big pharma, right? right? And that is, from a messaging standpoint, the worst possible thing you could do in a pandemic, right? Regardless of what else you say. Right. And I and I think like no wonder Trump so many times was like you just lost you just lost the left right you just lost it that was my favorite <laughs> like uh, moment him, of like just a verbal tick of his through the whole thing and it was fun every time he said it he was right he said it about uh, about single pair mm-hmm. uh, he said it about the Green New Deal and he said it about uh, abolition or as it was referred to in the in the um, debate defunding the police mm-hmm. um like every every single time there were there was like you know biden but like essentially they got biden to say no i of course i don't support that <laughs> um and then trump jumped in with like a actually very accurate you just lost the left although i guess it would be more accurate if he if biden never had the left 
right? I don't know. I mean, but Trump doesn't understand what the left is, you know. Well, it seems yeah. like he understands uh, the political valence of it in, a, idea, in a way of yeah. messaging better than Biden does, maybe. I think um, he does. Not yeah. like not not that he's messaging to it. Like, they, I mean, the left all fucking hates Trump or whatever. But you know, actually, can I? Do you guys? Would you guys want to do one last oh, clip? Oh boy. What does reimagining policing mean? And do you support the Black Lives Matter uh, call for, uh, for community control of policing? Look, what I support is the police having the opportunity to deal with the problems they face. The opportunity. Oh, and I'm, not, I'm totally opposed to defunding the police officers. As a matter of fact, police, local police, the only one defunding in his budget calls for a $400 million cut in local law enforcement assistance. They need more assistance. Oh my God. They need when they show up for a 9-11 call to have someone with them as a psychologist or psychiatrist <laughs> to keep them from having to use force and be able to talk people down. We have to have community policing like we had before where the officers get to know the people in the communities. Doesn't work. Uh, <laughs> I just love to I just love to see the you know what? We don't give the police enough money and we ask the police to do too much argument in 2020. Yeah. Also, also the, um, uh, how to put it, uh, <laughs> quote unquote community policing where the officers get to know the people in the community by stopping and which, frisking them. Well, I mean, yeah, as so you I'm know, getting to know you while I'm stopping. Well, <laughs> as we, to know, stop. as we, right, getting as, to know all about you, right. as we, <laughs> as we all know, uh, like, a lot of like a disproportionate amount of police officers do not live in the communities that they actually work in. So it's very funny to then say we need community policing so that they can get to know them. We they need don't have social to, workers with community guns. policing, but that doesn't extend to living in the community itself. Yeah. But like, yeah, you the know, social workers the, with the, guns the, thing is yeah. like more. Yeah. 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 It's like, you know, the problem is they don't know people well enough. That's really, <laughs> it's really, it's like they only knew them. They only knew them. They wouldn't, uh, you know, have the imprinted logic of property and race uh, <laughs> on the, you know, that would just, that would just melt away. Well, they just knew them. You know, if, if cops didn't, if cops lived in their communities, they absolutely would have no incentive to over police and drive out people of color in order to quote unquote raise their property values right that would never ever possibly happen and that has definitely not happened dozens of times in long island alone in the past 20 years right just like, saying like the idea that uh the the biden um police reform bill would be something like doing like a big brother big sister program or something but for cops to just be paired with a random person in the neighborhood and just bug them all the time like <laughs> No one wants this. No one asked for this. Uh, cops are not social workers. <laughs> cops should not take on the role of social workers, nor sh or like, you know, what, like some social workers are sort of cops. But, you know, I digress. Oh, God. But, you know, it's not like there was like anything productive I expected out of the like debate. Right. But I, I have to say, like, at least it was entertaining while, you know, I was just being told that everything that I believed in was total trash and not on the agenda um, because Joe Biden, Joe Biden is the party now. Joe Biden. <laughs> Can we just vote for Joe Biden? Oh God. Maybe that's his nickname. We just call him Joe Biden. No. no. <laughs> oh my God. It, it's like clearly the strategy going into this debate was to like, you know, use Trump's boorishness against him. And um, it was an utter failure. 
So yeah, because in a way, it's like the like what Trump brought out. Like, and there were these moments, especially when they were talking about COVID nineteen. Like, especially when they were talking about coronavirus, because it's like Chris Wallace says this very meager things. Like, uh, you know, if you can, it's a serious topic. So <laughs> hope this will be serious. Uh, right. You know, it's like please and, play nice this time, boys. <laughs> immediately, immediately, Trump's like. Joe, if you would have been in office, you would have killed two million people. <laughs> it's so I mean, already with the rest of the policy stuff, it's just so unmoored from any experience that a, an, an actual human being would be having in the world. Like all the stuff on healthcare, the language is poached from the late nineties, all the stuff on totally. policing, the language is poached from the early seventies. Like, you know, and so like what happens when you have a truly novel thing? Like what do people talk about? It's just it it's completely freeform and experimental. And like that's that's the thing that like I have no like there's no clue. If you think about like the, the 2000 debate, like so much was said in the 2000 presidential debate about like the mechanics of the social security trust fund. Like how <laughs> right. on earth it's like okay, we have a pandemic. It's like you heard nothing Really mm-hmm. about how any of that works right. at all. Nothing about how like testing works. Nothing about how. Yeah, it's just it's just like completely context free grammar. Yeah. And, and I mean, it's like as much as like they thought they got some zingers in by like, you know, blaming each other. Like the reality is we need someone like a little bit more intellectually flexible because we have a um, I think we have kind of like a developing situation here with testing in the United States that is going to play out and be really crucial over the next year, right? Like the debate was very vaccine focused, but I think now is actually a good time for us to like move on to testing because I think for me that takes a priority over the vaccine discussion right now. What do you guys think? Yeah, I mean, we've uh we've talked to some degree. I mean, even in the um we did we did that big uh episode which you can uh you can get if you're a patron, patreoncom pod, shameless plug uh there. But we did that big uh episode called um very uh SEO friendly uh <laughs> covid explained. Sorry. <laughs> uh <laughs> We usually like to make our stuff like much more inscrutable and like harder to find and, and we'll bullshit. Put a link but you in know, the description. yeah. <laughs> um, but there's so you know we talked in COVID, explained a lot about different mechanics of um, COVID and stuff. But one of the things that we um, kind of ended up having to gloss over a little bit, we got into it, uh, you know, just just a little bit, and we've talked about it on the show, show before though. Um, is testing, and I think especially as stuff has been opening back up. I mean, New York fucking opened schools up again. Restaurant uh, indoor dining. Yeah, indoor dining is back. Uh, cases are up. Woo. Uh, we won't even get into what's all going pre- on in Wisconsin right now. Not at all predictable. Yeah, you don't want Nothing. to get. A, yeah, you don't want any parts of this. <laughs> we haven't been saying that. The, we haven't been basically saying that this exact thing would happen since March. early March. But whatever. Um, but uh, yeah, we've got. I mean, since uh, stuff's reopening, we've gotten um, a bunch of like questions and stuff about like testing specifically, mm-hmm. both in terms of my work has X testing mm-hmm. style. Like, is that actually, is mm-hmm. this doing anything or it's such a real problem. Like there is, a, I think above all other topics, COVID adjacent or related testing. I think you have the least available and accessible, reliable resources for understanding when it's appropriate. Yeah. You know, 
we've talked a lot about the supply chain, but I think before we sort of get into like the specifics of like the different types of tests, right? Phil, like you work for a university. How is it going with the kids back on campus? Well, I mean, here's the thing. And this is, I think, true for a lot of universities, which is, you know, if you make testing something that only has to be done uh, if there's symptoms. Right. And you say that if you get tested and you test positive, you're going to have to quarantine. If you say that you get tested on campus uh, and you test positive, you're going to have to quarantine. You're going to have students getting tested off campus mm-hmm. and yeah. not, in fact, uh, taking precautions uh, as such. So, you know, it's uh, I think this is happening, you know, at a lot of places, which is, yeah, it's it can be difficult to control the spread. But I think what's even more disturbing is like if you don't have a really complete knowledge of the population that you're trying to test, you're not going to really have like a CT number. So it's going to be hard to know where you are um, right. in the whole, you know, testing space. And, 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 you know, to a large extent, there are just huge supply chain problems that are, you know, back of a lot of this. And I think that's, that's the real, you know, the, the sort of under administration of these tests is, you know, is being defended on public health grounds, but it's ultimately in many ways a supply problem and no one I think really wants to admit it. Right. And it's a supply in more than one way too, because it's not just the supply of the materials, but the people to process it. Everyone that I've talked to who well, works and the will to coordinate. Well, also yeah, that's a huge, all. that's a huge um, thing that's lacking, but everyone I've talked to that works for a university, right. Has said that they've had problems with, you know, um, uh, hotspots in the school, you know, around the dormitories, issues with students being able to access testing, just confusion about what like uh, the idea of a false positive or negative could mean. Right. Um, And they've said, you know, kids have had a really hard time accessing it. But that is obviously a disaster. But what makes me the most anxious has been talking to people who work for high schools and middle schools. Because it seems largely that a lot of the schools have like public schools in particular have just kind of like given up on testing, right? Like the cost is so extreme right now that, and the availability is so scarce that it, it it's like teachers are reaching out to me being like, so I'm trying to bootstrap my own testing regimen. Um, what should I do? Okay. How often, uh. how much money do I need to set aside to create my own testing regimen so that I don't like get my kids sick and my, you know, so I don't get sick and we don't like pass this around the community. Right. Right. And they're, you know, doing what they're doing, like the same way that you hear of teachers all the time, like going out of pocket, right. To make up for what we refuse to socially fund, which we should fund. And the fact that that's extending to testing procedure for reopening schools is absolutely obscene. Well, maybe this is a good time to get into the types of tests actually yeah. that are available because this kind of uh, this kind of ex- will explain um, that. But basically, yeah. So suffice it to say, for instance, like rapid testing, whether literally no matter where it is, if you're asymptomatic and you go and get like the rapid tests that are currently on the market, like none of them, uh, to my knowledge, are FDA approved for um, for testing asymptomatic people. Actually, mm-hmm. like the new one that everyone's touting that the Trump administration just bought a whole bunch of units for from Abbott technologies. Like, um, the new one 
I know explicitly is not um, FDA certified for testing asymptomatic people. Um, right. And and uh, I think getting into like the the types of tests, like explaining what the types of tests are, will like probably make it pretty clear why. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So maybe we'll start with the one that we've been calling the new type of test, the rapid test, or um, you may have heard it referred to as an antigen test. That's what we should be looking to develop in order to do some sort of massive, large scale um, screening program, right? Like a public health testing program, not a like clinical outcome oriented testing. Um, Because as we've talked about in every COVID episode, you know, tests are not 100 percent accurate, but they are important diagnostic tools. But you have to use them in the appropriate manner for which they're designed to be used. Right. So there is a, a case that I heard about of someone who had COVID. They went to urgent care. They were experiencing symptoms like, you know, runny nose, like in the first week of having symptoms. And the urgent care ran a serology test, which means they took blood and looked for antibodies, which typically don't show up until week two or three. Right. And those, one of the people died, right? Because they got so sick because they were told, no, you don't have COVID, go home. And that is like the worst case example of improper test allocation, right? They used a fucking expensive blood test to look for something that wouldn't be in their bodies for another fucking week. (laughs) Right. right. And somebody yeah. died. And so without with the absence of like a meaningful institution providing some sort of guidance on when to use the appropriate test, you know, it, it, physicians don't know what to do when. Right. Right. Like, yeah, I was going to say, like, isn't it isn't it bizarre that here we are, however many months into this thing, and it would seem like that the one main diagnostic tool that exists there would be maybe some greater level of like public awareness or appreciation of, but even among people who are making purchasing decisions worth vast sums of money, there's not even a basic understanding of this. Right. <laughs> right. No, it's more important. The priority has been placed on which company is getting the contract, not on what we're producing. Why? So the antigen tests, right? Those are the the um, less invasive tests that require less invasive swabbing to get the sample. So instead of getting the swab all the way back in your nose, people like are like, oh, all the way back that it touches your brain, which is not true. Um, it's only seconds. You can deal with it. My so, brain has never been touched. <laughs> so it's like that, that sort of deep probe swab that people are are requiring to do like the PCR test that has been sort of the norm of testing from early on because it was what was available in the beginning. It's also the accurate one, like the right. most accurate by far. So that but that's also a very invasive test. So obviously it's really hard to do on children, right? Because mm-hmm. you have to get them to sit really still. People are also disincentivized from doing it because it is more painful. So the the advantage of the rapid test, right, though they're not as accurate as the deep brain swab test, the PCR tests, they are easier, right? So they're, the compliance on testing is higher when the testing is easier. So instead of it's just in the nose or in the cheek, you know, they're they're more akin to the they're like the pregnancy test of COVID testing, right? They're supposed to be cheaper. The results are quicker, but they only pick up really high amounts of virus. So the idea of using it for, um, you know, screening purposes, right? 
it's important to use it in very specific instances, right? Because there are very specific conditions to which this test can pick up someone who has COVID. And that's something that's being ignored in a lot of these testing protocols that people are coming up with and pulling out of their ass. And like, you know, McKinsey doesn't even understand this shit, right? The Heritage Foundation hasn't wrapped their mind around this yet. They don't know, and a lot of doctors don't know, when it's appropriate to use what. Which is saying because they're, uh, these are people who are consulting on building, like, policy at the state level. Yeah. 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 And trying to advise people who are making these, like, million-dollar purchases for equipment and testing. Well, it's because, in part, like, <clears throat> we're not trying to manage a pandemic Mm-mm. I'm not quite sure. See, but the funny thing is, I'm not quite sure what we are trying to manage. <laughs> right. Uh, it's it's not clear that it's just like, oh, we're just trying. It's I used to think it was we're just trying to get the economy back open. But right. that's but that's also clearly not true. It's I, I'm not quite it's, it's like really hard to get a sense of like, what is the object that, that is is trying to be managed here? And I think it's sort of impressions. I think mm-hmm. we're trying to manage people's impressions of how things are. <laughs> that's very true. Yeah. Yeah. We're accurate. keeping up appearances. That's the priority. Well, and I mean, to that point, actually, you know, for example, well, and which obviously lands, I think, a little different and a little more uh, obviously too in an election year. But like um, for, for example, like, you know, there was a big, uh, there was like a big news hit a couple of days ago, I think that. Um, the Trump administration announced that they were going to uh, buy these. What what is it like? They're buying 150 million um, of these rapid tests, these antigen tests, which are the b- tests that bees were that bee was talking about that are um, significantly less uh, sensitive. That are just are basically for you know again, as I mentioned before, they're not uh, FDA approved for for testing uh, asymptomatic people for exactly this reason um, actually, and so you know. If you test someone with a rapid test, uh, like if you use a um, uh, if you use a rapid test, like an antigen test on a uh, asymptomatic person, technically that counts as an off label use, um, which mm-hmm. is yet another great thing that means it makes it a lot easier for your insurance to bill you in a shitty way. How to put it? But yeah, so there's a there's a big news hit about um, the Trump administration saying they're you know they're buying 150 million of these, these rapid tests from <laughs> Abbott, uh, technologies, which is one that basically they have this, uh, they have a, a testing program called Binax now. <laughs> yeah. That's literally that you can't think a of a better title. Binaps like, now. Right. <laughs> like B I N A X all caps N O W. Like that's literally how it's spelled, but, um, disgusting product name. So it's a, this is basically like a new, uh, antigen, um, test that is like the size of like a, a small card. Basically, um, it still has to be like administered by a health professional. Um, but they, but the idea is essentially that like, um, these are like $5 tests that, um, I guess you don't need to, um, like you, you don't need to put it in another solution or anything. It's like it turns a color like a pregnancy test or something is mm-hmm. the idea. So they're buying these, uh, they're buying these tests. Uh, what happens? But immediately, first of all, these are the, these are the ones I was talking about where like, uh, these are tests that are like that the administration has sent out previously to nursing homes and the like, which, uh, have, you know, had a hard time. They, they, you know, they, have basically all the allotments that they've sent nursing homes, they're gone in like a week essentially because the federal testing requirements and frequency are so high 
um, that like as they you know they should as they be should higher, be actually, right, right, right. As, yeah. right. as they should then, be but, but they're but not being met with the supplies are like supply. clearly right. there's like how many tests in there it's like we run out of them before right <laughs> and before the, thing the next I'm, shipment is coming but the but the 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 I mean the most telling and one of the one of the worst things I mean if you it doesn't doesn't take much to see how these are clearly being uh, sent to places not just nursing homes but sent to places giving extremely unrealistic and like wrong basically um basically directives to use them for like applications for which they're not like like totally actually meant for so as an example one of the things throughout this pandemic um that has been a huge problem that is massively underreported is that the indian health service Mm -hmm. uh, has had a, a massively difficult time um getting tests or any support at all really uh in part as a result like um i think it's what like 20 percent of um all arizona covid deaths uh i believe is the statistic um are indigenous people so for example like over the summer there was uh there were instances where the indian health service for example like requested uh more tests so that they could you know test the uh, te- like test people Implement under their basic purview. Level, you basic level. Yeah. Basic public health shit. And HHS sent body bags instead. Oh um, my God. This isn't the first time that IHS has requested like medical supplies from the federal government and received body bags in return. Yeah. So, but, uh, and so, you know, what happens, but lo and behold, you know, this press release goes out 150 million, uh, you know, Abbott rapid tests are being purchased, <laughs> uh, through the Trump administration. Um, and shortly after, I think about a day after press release from the Indian Health Service, we are getting 300,000 uh, rapid tests. You know, important, obviously, to have tests at all. They're going to have to ration them. Right. But they're going to have to ration them. Right. At the, and at that's the scale not what they're designed the, for. Right. At the scale of the problem, who knows also like when they're going to like ultimately uh, get them. But like, you know, the the scale of the issue, how frequently you have to use rapid tests themselves to be mm-hmm. actually useful as a mm-hmm. part of a public health uh, strategy. I mean, it's going, you know, it's, it's just, it's on its face disastrous. And also it is literally, it is the functional equivalent in my mind of, uh, you know, yeah, as, as Phil was saying, like keeping up appearances, you, you say you have delivered something when in fact you have not. Um, and you basically the, <sighs> I mean, sorry, I've been ranting for a while, but basically like the, <laughs> it, this, this is this is infuriating to me. And one of the most ridiculous things uh, about it, too, is that one of the reasons specifically that they want that all, all of these rapid tests are, uh, are being FDA approved only specifically under guidance of they must be administered by a health care professional. Mm-hmm. Um, this one of the specific reasons for that, according to. What, like reports basically the people who have who've, uh, from within the FDA, I guess, who have who have uh, spoken on this. Um, allegedly, one of the reasons that they have to be administered by a healthcare professional is apparently specifically because they know that like there is a gulf between what these tests actually can do and what a result means mm-hmm. and how they should be like how they will be or can be interpreted. And so the idea is actually that the healthcare professional is supposed to be able to consult and advise on what that test result actually means, which I think as we've seen probably in countless cases across the country is not that like, they'll just do like a, 
a quick swab test or something and it comes back negative and they're like, no, you're fine. No, well, we don't need to do PCR. We don't need it. It's fine. Right. They don't have the guidance. Like the physicians right. don't have the guidance. That's what what physicians are just and supposed to pull out of their ass something that they did not learn in medical school potentially or haven't talked about or thought about for like years. Right. right? Like, you know, well, they, they are, absurd. they are supposed to do that because what's happening here is the, just like, this is what subsidiarity as a principle of policy gets you <laughs> oh, right. So for anybody who like at the beginning of the pandemic, when like governors were doing marginally more than the federal government seemed to be doing because they were like getting special orders of PPE from other countries or, you know, testing from other countries. And we're like, wow, see, look, our, our decentralized federal system of government is such a better way of doing this. It's like, yeah, simply because states are marginally more competent at one moment than the federal government does not mean that the system works. <laughs> the fact that the supply we've had the supply chain problems that we have had, the fact that there is no uh, clear, uh, coherent guidance uh, across states, the fact that um, it's that there there are bottlenecks. Uh, that we see not just like with uh, testing, but but all kinds of aspects uh, about PPE. And beyond that, the idea that we're like, the, again, the complete fictionalization of, po of policy that like anyone would be able to get a test without having any any sort of bearing any sort of cost for that, which has, of course, right. also been, you know, part of the story on the demand side it is just just a testament to the fact that like this is what happens when you defer um authority down to the sort of lowest level is that ultimately people are forced into a position where they are taking lives in their hands and they don't have the like right materials they don't have the right training right. and then and then at the end of the day who becomes responsible no one like right. there's right. there's no one to point the finger at and and like what happens to you as like a a, a family member of somebody who who dies of of covid-19 or you know like even in a much in a more uh i don't know tolerable risk scenario like what happens to you if if, if there's no one clearly to blame um i i have to imagine that what happens to you is just a, a profound feeling of uh shame and uh, uh hopelessness right right yeah so that's that's your subsidiarity for you yeah <laughs> i mean we're really good at doing that to people um who have complex healthcare needs in this country you yeah know? and it's like here's the thing do you guys want to know the worst part you Please. know how many tests Always. we need a day for just basic level screening protocols as per the recommendations of who I consider to be the best authority on testing right now, which is Michael Minna. Um, is this, you, um, is this, do you mean rapid testing or testing period? Testing period. Okay. We would need 4.4 million tests a day. Right. Do so, we know what our current supply is or is that even, I doubt that's even an available figure considering the myriad public, uh, sorry, private companies that are. The only constant theme here is confusion. Right. Right. I, we are nowhere near close to <laughs> administering that many tests in a day. I think we just celebrated administering 1 million tests in a day. Right. Like 
this week, like yeah. possibly today. I heard <laughs> it. how many months into this thing Seven. and we don't have a national <laughs> testing strategy even, which is Jesus wild. Christ. But so, yeah, we have this constant theme of, of confusion going on. And just to break it down really simply right now, there are three types of tests, right? You have the rapid test, which is an antigen test, which is looking for little tiny pieces of protein so what you do is they take genetic, you know, they take your mucus or whatever and they dissolve it in a solution, which is like supply chain problem reagent. Right. And then it gets exposed to a piece of paper, which is treated to react to viral particles. Right. So basically they just try and separate out virus and then they see if you can pick it up. So this is obviously a not very sensitive test. The antigen test is pretty accurate if you've got symptoms and it's like the first you've week you've got a lot of virus and right it's, yeah i think it's within the first week of of experiencing symptoms it has between 95 and 100 percent accuracy however before that you can week, spread it yeah right week two 75 percent accuracy and <laughs> right therefore you understand why twice a week screening testing becomes actually very important because also, if you catch it at the wrong time during the week you could just miss well, completely yeah, twice al- even if you're doing once a week also considering how uh how the disease process carries out as we've talked again you know if you if you haven't uh or if you're not a patron go back and listen or if you are a patron go back and uh, listen to our uh, COVID explained but if you um episode but if you like think about the disease process for example that means that like you know you could get very sick mm-hmm. you could then go and get a test like after you've started losing like after you've started like wh- some of your symptoms have waned or something for example and it could theoretically just come back negative right and, and here's <laughs> the thing like okay some of these testing plans are like assuming that the virus keeps a nine to five schedule of monday through friday right right like if you're only testing people once a week right that's kind of assuming that like people only get sick on Mondays or Tuesdays or something. Right. right? Because right. it, you can't. Okay. So like you were exposed this afternoon, right? This is a very common question I get. I just found out that someone I was at a party with last night was exposed to someone who tested positive. Right. Right. My first answer is going to be like, maybe you shouldn't have gone to that party, but whatever. <laughs> like you're going to do whatever. Like just keep your mask on. Trust me. Don't go get a test tomorrow. Right. Because none of these tests can actually see anything until like at least three days, usually three to four. So let's say I get exposed on a Friday. Right. And my workplace tests on Thursdays. There is a high likelihood that that test will miss the window when I've got, you know, symptoms that will pick up on a low sensitivity or test. that by the time right. you're even done the rapid test that you have already been Had infectious and infected days? other people yeah right no, exactly which is why you know the antigen test can be so helpful because the idea is that you test you know test early and test often right you just test 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 and the idea is that through bulk and volume you can catch as many people who have who are shedding lots of virus as possible Right. Because, again, you're taking this material, you're breaking it up and you're looking for for particles of the virus. Right. So you need a lot of it to pick up in terms of like, you know, scale, though, we we're running into this problem and and they're not creating policies that are considering this, because if you were to do that, you would have to acknowledge the fact that we cannot supply those tests right now. And you would be forced to do something like more broad-based lockdowns like we talked about with with Abby on our episode last week, 
right? Like, and this game of like pretending that, that, you know, we can use an antigen test, this rapid test, like a PCR test is bullshit because what a PCR test is, is an incredibly sophisticated, sensitive test that can find teeny, tiny, tiny particles of virus, right? And the idea that like people that like, you know, we're conflating these all across the board is incredibly dangerous. Which also all of this makes it so that the, the idea of the unquestioned nature of our, uh, cases like state cases count um mm-hmm. is also well yeah. yeah i mean the the effect of all of this and, and like i think that this is just something that's true generally of this knowledge regime for for producing our understanding of this virus is that like the more complex it gets and the more uh easy it is to misunderstand the purpose of these things I mean, my view is that the just attitudes and beliefs about what is really happening in the absence of direct visible confirmation will crater. Yeah, totally. I mean, it's already there's there's a like fair amount of skepticism that any of this is even real. And of course, a lot of that is political and it's deriving from the utterances of like you know, uh, one particular political party, but like, I think another part of it is the, the knowledge apparatus for, you know, uh, transmitting the understanding of this thing, which is, you know, very, um, very misused in a lot of ways. And, and, and at the very least not reconciled in a way that's intelligible to yeah. most mm-hmm. people. Yeah, totally. That's so true. Well, um, before we move on, do you guys want to hear uh, one final thing about Binax now? Oh, yes. Okay. Yeah. So, Abbott, the company that makes Binax now. Um, again, big uh, sort of, you know, expect to hear a lot of this. Don't be surprised if you go and get, or have already, but, or if you go and get a, a COVID like quick test and uh, it's a Abbott machine or there's like an Abbott logo or whatever. Oh yeah. Um, the, you know, the, this is like, uh, this is clearly being, um, put forward because the test, it's like $5 a test or something. Um, the test and it's again, this a like, lot. you know, uh, which is, yeah, which is a lot when you consider the amount that needs to happen and <clears throat> that need, the amount that need to have, uh, happened in the, and, and like what that number looks like in the aggregate, um, which is why it's going to be very lucrative for them. But anyway, so I read the press release about um, oh when God, they yes. got the FDA authorization yeah. um, for this. And uh, let me just tell you, there is a there's a whole side hustle that they uh, have that is not really included in any of the reporting about uh, Abbott's um, uh, uh, rapid testing initiative. Um, oh my I'm just going to read directly from this press release and I will just say... Um, this is not going to, this is not going to surprise uh, either of you. <laughs> okay. Quote. I want the truth. <laughs> Abbott is also offering a mobile app. Oh my at God. No charge. Oh God. <laughs> that will allow people to display their results obtained through a healthcare provider when entering facilities. Immunity passport. Requiring proof of testing. Oh my God. The Navica app. No. All 
all caps, N-A-V-I-C-A, <laughs> the Navica app is optional and an easy to use tool that allows people to store, access, and display their results with organizations that accept the results so people can move about with greater confidence. You know, because like Guys, a screenshot I like that we, is not Remember sufficient. when we manufactured this? Remember when we created this idea like a couple months ago? Like, remember we like made this? It was fun. <laughs> yeah. I'm glad that we did this. I'm glad that we made Navica. Yeah. <laughs> I'm glad all that the names that this company puts out sound like bad video game food brands or something. I just really Navica is like a soda in a really cheap racing game or something. Yeah, I was thinking it was like a really bad like uh, dollar store cologne. <laughs> <laughs> well, by, I mean, Binax now itself sounds like a fucking like uh, video decompressor Kodak from Kodak from like I don't know the early two thousands or, or like the late nineties or something. Yeah. <laughs> Um, like from the era of when like people were naming companies like Binks or something, <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, <laughs> um, uh, let's see, I think, okay. Yeah. So, uh, I'll, I'll just, I'll just finish this out cause there yes, is just, yes. there is just a little more, uh, quote, the app is supported by Apple and Android digital wallets and will be available from public app stores in the U S. Well, Binax Now is the hardware that makes knowing your COVID-19 status possible. The Navica app is the digital network that allows people to share that information with those who need to know. Hey, you oh know God. what? I got my Binax, but you know what I haven't gotten yet? I haven't gotten Navica. But you gotta have, <laughs> if you got Binax, man, you got to have Navica go with that. If test results are negative, the app will display a digital health pass via QR code similar to an airline boarding pass. Jesus fucking Christ. If results are positive, people receive a message to quarantine and talk to their doctor. The digital health pass is stored in the app temporarily and expires after the time period specified by organizations that accept the app. Right, because like you can't do the same thing with a QR code that also expires that could just be in, you know, PNG. Well, it's just a way to... I mean, it's a way to, um, God, these people, it expires so that it presumably it expires so that your employer can say like, well, you haven't gotten a rapid test today, Dave. So I kept you off the schedule, Dave. <laughs> yeah. You're yes. now under 34 hours a week and you no longer qualify for healthcare, Dave. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Anyways, um, we should move on to our final topic for the yeah. day. Oh I boy. Am- Ta- speaking about employers, speaking about the workhouses. Oh, God. Yeah, totally. I'm really excited. I want to apply for a job here. So there's a company called Industries for the Blind and Visually Impaired, which definitely does not sound like a fake company. Right. Um, which has Industries come, for the blind right. and visually impaired. Yeah. So they've come under fire. In, industry. Now for the blind. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so... Uh, Industries for the Blind and Visually Impaired, uh, a Wisconsin company, uh, has come under fire for um, taking products, like ordering products in bulk from China, having non-visually impaired people repackage said products and selling them as things made by blind people in America. (laughs) How does does this make you feel as an uh, identity (laughs) warrior be? Where was my headhunter call for this this firm? <laughs> I want to be in industries. No, I mean, wow, gotta respect just, the hustle there. The, I mean, the I'm manager saying, is cr- uh, the like this. This is to me is the most Philip K. Dick thing I've ever heard. <laughs> it's like okay, there's a there's there's a uh, 
there's like a workhouse for the blind, but it's actually, it's a fake workhouse because they just want to make people think that they're employing blind people. It's like, so it's, there's like three, there's like three levels of, yes. you know, <laughs> Philip K. Dick intrigue. Yeah. And apparently because I claim that they had uh, 70% of their workforce uh, like employed was visually impaired. Um, they got a special certification, which like helped green light them for like government contracts. So they actually made uh, all the like messenger bags for the census workers. And apparently they ordered the bags from China and then the workers clipped in the strap right. and packaged it. But what it turns out is that this sounds like a of- great job, by the way. I'll just, <laughs> just clipping straps on these census bags. <laughs> hey, hey, that that's how that's how Apple can print assembled in the U.S., right? Well, my, or, my curiosity is how much were they paying these people right because a lot of like disabled workers work for sub-minimum wages too oh, well oh, the program that you're referencing ability one yeah um that allows that so uh this this certification that uh what, what is it called again uh industries for the blind and visually impaired which yeah. i guess apparently it only used to be called Industries for the Blind, and they added the visually impaired part in right, 2018. Right, they wanted to recognize the spectrum of disability right there so that they could stretch the rules, I'm sure. Yeah, um, but so uh, uh, Ability One itself is, um, it's a program, it's like basically a, um, yeah, it, it's a clearance basically that you get, you like certify um, that you are, uh, it's a, like a, a certification program basically for companies who hire disabled uh, workers so that they can get government contracts doing things like be mentioned, making census tote bags, clipping uh, straps on, clipping, on bags. Yeah, clipping straps on bags. Real um, proud work. You can be proud of it at the end of the day. But this basically, I mean, this is this. You know, when Phil says there's a lot of layers here, I mean, I want to go directly to the deepest layer here, which is okay. This in itself this whole situation which we're, we're talking about i think because there's what well, there was like a whistleblower who looks like guy fieri who like <laughs> from within the company who like said yeah. who called them out on this um on the fact that they're using uh, that they're they're printing these things saying like we're you know we're we, like this is proudly made by a blind or visually impaired person and then they it's actually like made by a totally sighted mm-hmm. worker who's who's not disabled um and uh but so like, you know, that, that's the reason we're talking about this, but like it, it goes. So this set, this whole situation says so much about the ridiculous state of the American political economy when you consider mm-hmm. all the factors at play here. So one, they're importing stuff from China, right? They're like mm-hmm. purchasing uh, pr- like Chinese goods, presumably uh, cheaply so that it's like cheaper than their labor cost that they would right. pay. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, labor and material costs, let's say, and overhead, whatever, all the company shit that makes a company. Um, but um, the deeper absurdity, too, here is, yes, in fact, uh, as you mentioned, like, this will shock many of the uh, non-disabled listeners. It's, it's a it's a excruciatingly uh, stupid loophole, I think. Uh, We're using that literally in the eugenic sense of the word. Yeah. It, well, it's, it's, it's a, designed to like help put people into further poverty. Right. It's a, it's a ridiculous <laughs> loophole, but under federal law, if you're disabled, you can work for sub minimum wage. Mm-hmm. Um, wage yeah. And uh, ability one uh, employs something like 20% of the like ability one certified companies mm-hmm. employ something like 20% of the 
uh, people who fall under that designation who work at below minimum wage, Mm -hmm. uh, like work in below minimum wage positions. And so again, the, the deepest level of like absurdity here Mm -hmm. is that even that uh, presumably then is not even cheap enough for them to just get like for them to just actually employ and pay blind people to do well to quote whistleblower guy fieri yeah um whistleblower guy fieri said quote the sales brochures pictured blind employees but i witnessed sighted part-time workers handling the repackaging relabeling and assembly he said when i asked the warehouse manager why he replied it was easier to hire sighted workers because it (laughs) took too long to teach the blind how to do the work (laughs) Yeah, now, that's 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 so the real it's like just matter of factly like yes yes we've gotten this contract under purely false pretenses but <laughs> but damn it we did it just because like we would have hired blind people if they weren't so damn hard to teach how to do the work <laughs> i'm gonna Ugh. i'm gonna allow myself one as a blind person right in this episode but as a blind person hard is not an excuse in this circumstance that blind person have na- has navigated to the office that day it is your fucking do- job to train them you're already paying them nothing right <laughs> like, like if your ability one certified that means you're definitely paying them sub-minimum wage so right. also like if a person who's blind is on ssdi they have gone through a really embarrassing and debilitating like emotional battle probably where they had to prove to the government just how fucking useless they are which for me personally really was difficult emotionally i mean i experienced so much fucking shame when i lost my vision and it didn't come back all of a sudden i lost it and got it back when i went on steroids for years right like i kind of had some skills for not being able to see but I was never used to being blind for more than like five or six days at a time, maybe like a month maximum, right? Like I right. always went back to normal and for whatever reason in December of 2017, it never went back. And I, and like four months later, it was like, well, shit, like I have to learn how to cook again, right? And, you know, to to like read that it was too hard, <laughs> but you know what I mean? It's like, some blind people aren't chronically ill and might want to have a manufacturing job, but nope, too hard. So sorry. Yeah. No big well, deal. Like, this whole operation, like I also think that this this whole operation is like I, one wonders what was going on at this this industries to the blind, which has been around since 1953. Right. Yeah. Like number one, like what was going on that, you know, ultimately led them down this, this like at one, one day you wake up, you're like, oh, we've, we've existed as a nonprofit for uh, the blind for, for years. And, and you know, what we're going to do today. <laughs> like we just got this whole, like, it's not working out. We're clearly bad <laughs> at this. Like, you know, what we're going to do government procurement scheme. Like that's, <laughs> that's how we're going to turn this business around. We're going to, Listen, we got a presentation. Put the, put the PowerPoint in. Government procurement scheme. <laughs> Option number one. Uh, I'm uh, not really uh, sure about that. Uh, you, no, this is the way. <laughs> well, you know, we're going to be making census bags. You know who's not going to be making them? Blind people. <laughs> <laughs> well, you what know a- the problem with blind people is they can't see, you know? <laughs> 
God. It's like, uh, Marty, we're we're actually called Industries for the Blind. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Do you want to last as Industries? For, you want to be Industries for the Blind 20 years? Well, today, we <laughs> oh got to not hire blind people because sustainability. That's what. God. Or they could make the argument that blindness is now a spectrum. And technically, if they hire anyone with glasses, that person would theoretically be blind if we went back in time to when there weren't glasses. How anymore. much do you want to bet a lawyer said that to them at some point? <laughs> mm, I would put I would put all of my monthly SSDI on that. Yeah, Jim's gone I, through I it. And he it. says that uh, if you get somebody with uh, if they have astigmatism, you're good. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, if you're going by the 1857 city charter of um, of whatever city in Wisconsin they're in, it does say that um, you know glasses are a disability, so you're good to go, sir. <laughs> well, uh, I I did not know that this was a thing when we began this segment, but I will say what a what a way to uh, to ring in. Uh, what I have just found out is National Disability Employment Awareness Month. What? Oh, perfect. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, how many employees, <laughs> how many disabled employees do you have to have to qualify for ability one? Can we, can we become a podcast federation for the blind? Federal contracts? <laughs> yeah. I mean, how, why can't the, <laughs> I don't think so. you know, we can have a federal We could do the GAO's podcast the better than the GAO. They just, GAO just starts contracting out their podcast to us. <laughs> yeah. I mean, with Michael Caputo in charge, we could probably do HHS better than Listen. HHS. So. Anyone at HHS, if you're listening, we are available. We know that you have a man down and we are willing to broadcast from whatever boat you give us. <laughs> Actually, um, I think because we're, we're probably wrapping up, but I, I, I don't want to let this uh, slide because this is probably the perfect moment to mention. So in the last episode, in the patron episode for this week, Phantom Policy, we talked at length about um, the HHS that was on Monday, right? When we talked about the HHS. Yeah. Thing. Mere days ago. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we, we talked about, uh, the HHS, like $300 million ad campaign, um, to, to get people like Dr. Oz and, uh, Dennis Quaid to like communicate about how, how good of a job that Trump has done on the coronavirus and to defeat despair. Yes. Quote, defeat despair. So there was a big, uh, news drop in Politico this morning on exactly that topic. Um, so I guess it's fizzling out, which is sad because Bummer. if you've listened to that episode, uh, you, you know that we, we do really wish to see these ads come out eventually. Um, but we have learned thanks to, uh, new reporting, couple things. One death panel favorite Seema Verma was scheduled to be oh, hell yeah. one of the main figureheads, uh, in this. And they were initially going uh they they were they were swinging for the fences for her they were prioritizing um her, like basically building her up as a as a figure um essentially by trying to uh court uh let me let me read a couple of the people they were trying to have her the celebrity shoes they were trying to get her in conversation with oh my god uh, this is from a uh, a leaked uh spreadsheet uh from hhs thank you to the brave soul that did that thank i you. love you yeah absolutely um <clears throat> so just imagine if you will we are now deprived of sema verma mm -hmm. uh centers for medicare and medicaid services um current uh administrator sema verma and you know longtime death panel fave fave um we were deprived of seeing sema in conversation with any of the following people billy joel <gasps> 
Blake Shelton. No. Oh my god. Britney Spears. Oh my god. Christina Aguilera. Aguilera. Agu- Eminem. No. <laughs> yeah. No. M- I don't know. Whatever. No. Seema Verma and Eminem. I mean, that's no. a they can't take that real. from us. It's not real. It's not fair. If you work for HHS and you're listening to this right now, first of all, do not fucking narc on us. Second. Please make this shit happen. Please. But if you had one Sima chance, Verma. one opportunity <laughs> yeah. to see Eminem rap about work requirements. Exactly. Please. I am begging you. I don't ask for much. Do this and also become a patron. But um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, other. Yeah. Um, Justin Timberlake. Oh, my God. Lady Gaga. Madonna. <laughs> Maroon 5 slash Adam Levine. <laughs> we'll either take uh, the, the band Sans Adam or just Adam, yeah. but uh, not neither of the two shall meet. Hi, I'm Finally. Seema Verma, and I'm here with Maroon 5 and Adam Levine. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, um, I mean, we talked about how it's going to be such an obscene ad buy. Like, if this does go forward and the only one is Dennis Quaid, uh, interviewing Tony Fauci is going to just be like the most um, played commercial in history, possibly yeah. $300 million on. I understand we're the last of these commercials that they made. So, I mean, I guess we got to do it good. Uh, <laughs> do you know what else we learned in this report in what? Politico? We also learned in this report in Politico that uh, the reason that they were able to get Dennis Quaid's uh, interview with uh, Fauci in in the can so quickly was because Quaid was very enthusiastic uh, about speaking with him on the condition that he could also have Fauci on his podcast. Oh, my God. Dennis Quaid has a podcast. Oh, my God. What? Do you know what? Do you want to know what it's called? Yes. Dennis Quaid has actor Dennis Quaid, brother of Randy. If you don't know who he is, it's Randy Quaid's brother. So Randy Quaid's brother has a podcast <laughs> called The Denissance. No. <laughs> oh, this sounds like it, it's always died. sunny joke. Yeah, exactly. It literally sounds straight out of It's Always Sunny. Like The Denissance? He couldn't yeah, he could have called it the Dennis System, but no, the Denissance. Yeah. Um a Renaissance so, of Dennis. Um, I'm, I guess I'm I sorry to leave. I cannot wait to listen to that episode with Tony Fauci. Yeah, I'm sorry to leave the listeners uh, on a note like that, but um, I don't know. You've got your needles, podcast man. app open now, so don't do that. Don't go to there. Leave us a rating or something instead. <laughs> but, <you know. laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that's a good place to wrap. You know, we, uh, we scared the shit out of you and then we made you laugh, right? Yes. <laughs> our specialty yes. over here at the, at the panel um in all seriousness if you can support us on patreon patreon.com slash death panel pod leave us a rating a review on itunes it helps people find the show and um you know we want to be able to flex that we have more ratings than the denissance so <laughs> we'll have to see how many ratings dennis quaid has sorry randy quaid's brother has on his podcast (laughs) and then we'll set a goal and and we can we'll let you know listeners how you can help us meet that goal um i'm sure is in future weeks but yeah yeah we actually uh we don't have as many ratings as him but we do uh but he is not that far away from us so we we can beat randy quaid's brother on this yeah we can definitely definitely do that help us beat 
Randy Quaid's brother, Dennis. <laughs> Absolutely. Leave us a rating and review on iTunes. <laughs> um, all right. I think we'll leave it there for the day. Medicare for all now. Solidarity forever. Stay alive another week. Hell yeah. Next time. All right. Day.